Hello and welcome once again to They Don't Make Them Like They Used To. We're back once again for a Friday night of frivolous, unabashed celluloid nostalgia. As always, I'm your host, Tosin, and I'm usually joined by my brothers in arms, Joe and Sean. However, this week the studio is decidedly prettier and much better smelling. Please say hello to Sharon. Hello. And to Claudia. Hello. <laughs> cool. Now, the point of this show, it's all in the title. We are looking at the good old movies made before everything was all computer generated, back in a time when going to the cinema was actually an event, and before Netflix, before iPlayer, before any of that internet stuff came up and messed everything up. I mean, essentially, if a show, or a film rather, was made after 1980s, it's going to have its work cut out to actually show up on this show. Now... Starting off, first of all, the first one we're going to talk about this week comes because I was watching Strictly Come Dancing this weekend. I love Strictly. You love Strictly, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's a brilliant show. I think it's an absolutely brilliant show. Uh, so tell me, tell me a little bit about your love for Strictly. I think I class myself as a Strictly super fan. I've seen every series. I watch the Saturday Night Show. I watch the Sunday Night Results Show. I watch It Takes Two throughout the week. <laughs> and I even get the Strictly annuals for Christmas every year. <laughs> <laughs> Claudia, what do you think about Strictly? I, I love Strictly, possibly not as much as Sharon does. Um, I really enjoy watching the Saturday Night Live shows. Um, sometimes I watch the results shows, I think probably more later later on in the series yeah. when the results shows have really, really good dances in them as well. Yeah, they've upped. Okay. Look, look, look I, uh, you will not find me arguing with that. I know some people might say it's not manly to like Strictly. I say to those people, well, call me a woman. I don't care. It's... <laughs> It was movie week, though. It was movie week this week. Exactly. It was movie week this week. And there was an absolutely amazing Paso Doble done to this song. And I thought, we need to get this song on the show. So we are going to kick off with this. And let's see whether you can figure out which film it comes from. It should be a doddle. Puerto Rico, my heart's devotion. Let it sink back in the ocean. <laughs> Always the hurry. Ole! Just want to finish it and go like that. I mean, it's and and uh, okay. For everybody in the hospital, you are not in here with us, so you don't know. But I can tell you that this place has been like a, for the last five minutes while that was going on. The studio has been like a veritable Strictly Come Dancing forum, which Claudia and Sharon just going on about who's good and all that kind of stuff, and who they reckon is going to go far. So let's have a little bit of a Strictly thing, because guys in the hospital might not have had a chance to watch Strictly this weekend. Tell us about it. Well, it was movie week. Mm -hmm. So all the dance were based around, they were based around a film or the picture film. I don't know if, I, I've always wondered, we probably will never know the answer, whether they choose their own film or whether they're told this is the film you're dancing to, or this is the theme you're going to do, because like Jake did The Godfather. Oh yeah, yeah that was excellent. actually really good. Well, yeah. It looked amazing. more like an Argentine tango, though, didn't it? It did. It but did. It, it was, was very moody. Yeah. Yeah. I remember the, Craig said it was. His frame was, was excellent mm. for that, and you think, I can see he's going to do really well in the Argentine tango. I think they actually picked some really good films to to do dances to because you wouldn't have thought, would you, The Godfather? Yeah, as I mean, a, as I'm a waltz. thinking that we could we could have like you know of they don't make him like they used to episode just going through the films that they danced to and strictly this mm. weekend. So there were some good ones on there. Because you had some more obvious choices. You had Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. Which Pixie Lot did. Yeah. And you had Mamma yeah, Mia. Yeah. So they're obviously the more of them, they're musicals. Mm. But and others, you had Aerosmith as well. Yes. Which was quite an obvious rumba. You had an Armageddon. obvious rumba. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, it was a. I didn't get. And there was. A, what was the one from that Simon Webb danced to with Christine and Rianoff? 
Oh, that was um, Top Gun. Top Gun. Take my breath away. Yeah, why was she wearing just a shirt? Was that a reference to the film, obviously? So it so is a reference to the film. Seen the film. Yeah, it, it, it is she's a reference wearing, to the like, film. She's wearing weird pants and with tassels on and a shirt. It's, it's a reference to the film. I it's, think it's the a costume very... from Strictly is another show. In a, in a <laughs> yeah. Okay, all right. Okay, so I think that's enough. I think we should actually get Sharon on and you should actually come in and each week do a Strictly show. Just okay. talking, through, <laughs> talking through the whole thing. But this is supposed to be about movies. About film, classic yeah. movies. So we're going to go, we're going to bring it back and talk about West Side Story. Yeah. Now, okay, first of all, the dance that they did to this on Strictly, I know I'm just going back on myself, but, but the dance they did, I think did real real what's the word justice to the film yeah to the song. it was anita wasn't it she had the dress was the right color yeah she had the frame so the look because anita was obviously with her very black hair quite yeah. short yeah very sort of stylish and yeah it was like yeah it's anita and bernardo dancing on the rooftop wasn't it you could you were there you could visualize exactly where what part of the film it was from okay and you were talking to Sean, you were talking earlier about how much you love this film yeah, I do. I've always got. To, I've had a real weakness for musicals. Oh yeah. Going back to like Seven Brides and Calamity Jane, those ones I loved in yeah. my my youth, and um, moving up to them, I would regard West Side Story to me as like a more modern musical because <laughs> the ones I really loved were forties and fifties musicals. Yeah. But so this is more in that sort of the sixties period. So I love. I was saying earlier, I love the the cool, cool, crazy boy bit at the end where they're the finger clicking. And they're dancing in the car park. Or the sharks versus the jets yeah. and all that, yeah. And this is um, where they've all scattered and they're meeting together. And it's cool, you know. <laughs> yeah, and they call each other daddy-o and things. Hello, <laughs> 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 but I do love that whole the film. I know it's sort of you know, Roman Juliet, so it's a classic story. But I think there's just, there's not much that, that you can pick a fault with in West Side Story. To be honest, I can't comment really because I've, I've never seen West Side Story. <gasps> Shock horror, I know. Gossip it's terrible. Horror. But... The only thing I know about West Side Story is I think the Michael Jackson video for his song Beat It, I think the video is based on that musical. Yeah, dancing in the, the car park. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's the only thing I know about West Side Story. Yeah. Well, if you think of Rome and Juliet in the 50s in New York, because there's that iconic scene at the very beginning where you have like a a crane shot, don't you? Yeah, Where it yeah. goes across the skyline yeah. of New York. So it's setting the scene. This is in New York. This is a particular time and place. Yeah. And then it zeroes in on these sort of playgrounds where you see these people just messing around and then you realise that one's in a certain set of colours and the other one is in another coloured jacket. Yeah, yeah, And then yeah. you start to identify that these are actually... Like gangs, gangs. rival gangs. And they're, you know, they're not gangs where they... Are you <laughs> <laughs> they're not friendly gangs, shall not we say? Gangs. They're, not, they're not friendly gangs. And they sort of have that edgy. I love the sort of the whole where it's where they show they're edgy by sort of crouching quite low and clicking their fingers. <laughs> they yeah, I know, it's, I know it's, it's it's kind of one of those things that you guess you have to do. It's one of the things that they had to do with the musicals. I mean, when they were making them, because this was this was made in the heyday of the musical, like yeah. MGM and all that kind of stuff, and. I guess it's one of the things you have to deal with because they would deal with some quite dark material when it came to musicals. But the problem is that it's still the musical, so it's supposed to be nice. At, so you can't really have somebody stabbing somebody else in the musical. So no. they had to they had to come up with something but else. Flick knives, haven't they? You see them with knives and with they never go to guns. And do they go? To, I think they do actually later on. But okay. at that point, it's you get the idea that they've probably got their their, their knives with them. I still think it was genius choreography to be able to come yeah. up with a dance move that still 
kind of looked menacing. Yeah. I mean, it gets it gets a lot of fun is made of it nowadays when people talk about it and they go, "Oh yeah, we're gonna we're gonna show dance. We're gonna like you know, we're gonna like dance fight." <laughs> and they start walking and going. But you can almost see it, can't you? Because they're in that stance where they're getting low and they're moving their arms as if they were holding a weapon and they're facing each other off. Mm. And you can see they've got that aggressive posture, but they're doing it to dance. So, so what do you which think? You haven't seen before in musicals. So, what do you think is was the secret to the enduring success behind West Side Story? Because I mean, even people who haven't watched it, like Claudia was saying, Claudia says she hasn't watched the film. But even if you haven't watched it, you still know about it. It still sort of permeates your consciousness. Why? Why do you think West Side Story has that? The music. Okay. I think you've got to. You can take the. You can close your eyes and you can. You hear the music. And then you, you, there's some of the scenes from the film coming. Like the, there's a scene particularly I think most people think of is when they're dancing at the school dance or mm-hmm. this the get-together dance, don't they? And you see all the, the gangs and their girls dancing around in circles and then Tony and Mira spot each other and the rest of the world retreats and it becomes focus on those two. And then as they're drawn apart, you see the world comes back into focus again. So you have got these iconic moments where you can just completely visualise what's going on. <laughs> But, okay. It. All right, I see you love this film. I mean, the yeah, way the way you're talking it. about it, I'm thinking, man, maybe I should go watch this film again. <laughs> maybe <laughs> actually, maybe I should go watch it the whole way through. Claus, what do you reckon? You want to go watch this film? I yes, I I think I do want to watch this yeah. film. Um, but it's not as yeah. cozy film either. I think you tend to think of musicals as being very cozy. <clears throat> but there's a scene where I think it's Anita who goes to tell them about Tony or something. And she goes into she's persuaded to go and tell the 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 Jets the where Tony is. And she goes to meet them, and they and it's it's and she's almost attacked, mm. and it's quite it's uncomfortable watching. Mm-hmm. And you think it's as close as they get to sort of you know sort of male on female violence, mm. but it's it's quite edgy still. But it it shies away from being cozy, which yeah. again is is a good thing. I liked. Shies away from being cozy, and I think also the fact that it's essentially an adaptation of Romeo and Juliet that they that. They did something different with Romeo and Juliet that still stands out today. I mean, last week on the show, I was talking about um, I was talking about how the Baz Luhrmann version of Romeo and Juliet is probably the best version of that, that has ever been put on film, and I think it's probably that and West Side Story stand up as the best adaptations of Romeo and Juliet ever to be committed to film. So, what even better than Lion King two? Like, <laughs> okay, the Lion King two. Oh my word! Look, the Lion King two was actually never released in cinemas. Seriously, uh, that was a straight-to-video thing. Okay, I didn't know that. And yes, it is better than they—they they are both better than Lion King Two. Lion King Two <laughs> has got some good songs in it, though. Okay, um, listeners, if you—if you might not be able—if you haven't picked up already, Claudia is quite a bit younger than the rest of the two, <laughs> than Sharon and myself. So I think it's good to actually have this in there. But like Lion King Two, so what you reckon? Lion King Two is the West Side Story of your generation? No, that's um. <laughs> That, that's a stretch, I think. From, for at least from what I've heard of West yeah. Side Story today, I think it would be a stretch to uh, say that Lion King 2 is, is West Side Story. Oh, and also the other thing about it is directed by the same guy who directed The Sound of Music, Robert Wise. Robert Wise, yeah. Yeah, and he, he actually did, uh, he had like a crazy period because he directed, I think he had like a four, three, four-year period where he couldn't do any wrong because I think this and Sound of Music were like a year apart. Yeah, they Which, were big winners. At, uh, they were big scorers at the box office. And I think they were big winners both at the, the at Oscars. The Oscars. And the uh, and things, I they? mean, the girl's just, a, he's just one of those unsung heroes. He's, I mean, if, if it was today, he would be like a Steven Spielberg, just everybody talking about him. 
But um, yeah, so West Side Story. I think that was a good way to start us off. Thank you very much, Jared, and for talking about. It. Thank you very much, Strictly, and thank you very much, Kevin from Grimsby and Frankie Bridge <laughs> for dancing to that and doing it justice. Because if you hadn't done it well, this would be a whole other Ooh. show. <laughs> this would be a whole other thing we're talking about now. So, well, what also happens on this show is that we, I tend to go into the hospital. And speak to some people, speak to some of the patients, asking you two questions. What was the first film you ever saw at the cinema? And what was your favorite film you've ever seen in the cinema? So a couple of weeks ago, I actually spoke to a patient, incidentally also called Sharon, <laughs> in the cardiac ward. And she was talking to me about her favorite film. And this is what she had to say. Bambi. Um, it was happy but sad. It was just fun to watch. Do you remember the first time you saw Bambi? Yeah, I was about six. Uh, and was it in the cinema? Was it at home? Or? In the cinema. Okay. And, and my dad had to carry me out because Bambi's mum died. And I was crying so much, so my dad carried me out. And I watched it when I was older. Yeah. But I still enjoyed it as much with Thumper, <laughs> the rabbit. Um, Bambi saying Thumper and not being able to talk very well. And then the mum the dying, because my mum died when I was five. So it just brought all that up. Yeah, it was, it was a happy, sad film. But it was good. Bambi. Um, it was happy, but sad. It was just fun to watch. Don't know what happened there, but here's April showers from Bambi. Ah, oh, April showers from Bambi. And once again, I'd like to apologize for what happened at the beginning there. It was technology stabbing me in the back. So anyway, Claudia, Bambi, memories of Bambi, take it away. Um, I love Bambi. To be honest, I can't really remember exactly when the first time I watched it was. I must have been really young, maybe about six or seven. But uh, I remember just it was enthralling. I just loved the story I fell in love with the characters I you know I cried when Bambi's mom died and I just I just thought the story was it was amazing um I just I really enjoyed it I found I remember finding the April shower song quite scary I think I liked the beginning but then to when I think the storm builds up in the in the song I found it quite scary yeah it and, does it um, does get a little bit kind of like the storm we had on the island a couple of weeks ago yeah in the middle of the thing, everything goes up. dark and like trees are falling over yeah. And all that. yeah it is quite it is quite menacing um to this day i can't believe it's only an hour and 10 minutes long yeah, it is, is a it short really? film yeah it's, it's a short really short yeah. it's really short Crams. yeah and i found out this week actually that apparently because of budget restraints um they cut 12 minutes off the off the film before they released it in cinemas to save money. So and they could show it more times, I suppose. Can I, you? I, do they, I do they work so. that out? I, I have I no know, idea, but um, apparently it made it cheaper for it to be 
an hour and ten rather than however long it would have been an hour and twenty-two. I suppose in those days you had double bills, didn't you? So if you could get a shorter film, you could have it tied up with another longer. Well, I, I think I think also just the just the animation process because you, people had to draw every single mm. frame. So the longer the film is, the longer you're paying people to actually make the film. Mm. So the shorter it is, the less money you spend on it. Mm. Good old Walt, mm. the always canny, a crafty, crafty businessman. Well, to be honest, I mean, if you look at the circumstances under which the film was released, it was released in the middle of World War Two. And, um, you know, the budget was, it must have been really tight to begin with, um, you know, just with the financial considerations yeah. the country would have been in. And would you have all your animators there? I don't know what point in the war it was made. Obviously, if it's America, if it was after 1941, 1942, then it would have been, maybe the, it would have impacted yeah. if your, your animators are joining up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, that's a good point. I didn't think about that. But yeah, it was released in 1942 and it actually made a loss. Um, wow. Yeah, and he, I mean, this film is, you know, is loved by millions of people today. And at the time that it was released, um, people didn't really like it, especially the, well, hunters and sportsmen of, of America. They found it actually quite insulting, <laughs> you know, to suggest that <laughs> they, they killed Bambi's mother, mother and the rest of it. But um, <laughs> you don't take on like, the NRA, do you? No, you don't. No, you okay, don't. Just imagine Charlton Heston going, what? You've made me the bad guy. <laughs> yeah. Again. <laughs> It's like people walking around going, what, what? You're saying I killed Bambi's mum. I did not kill Bambi's mother. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And it was only when the film was re-released and re-released and re-released, apparently it's been re-released three or four times, was when it started to recoup a lot of the money that it that it initially, yeah. you know, that it, that it made. And it actually, obviously, is now massively profitable. Um, if you try to buy a Bambi DVD today, you'll pay a lot of money for it because Disney don't release all they're of their... They're quite uncanny, aren't they, about yeah. that as well? They're, they're astute business people, aren't they, where they do release and they hold it back. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah, they're, exactly. The, they're the money-hungry capitalist, <laughs> yeah. family-friendly business. So they don't saturate... Yeah, yeah. The market with their films, they have, they make you want them, and mm. then when it comes out, it's like right, we've got to grab it while we can. Mm, exactly. I think a few years back, I wanted to convert my VHS collection of Disney to DVD, and I was outraged that I couldn't just <laughs> yeah. go on go <laughs> on Amazon and yeah. just you know, or go to HMV and buy everyone that yeah. I had in. Um, you know, on DVD. Fortunately, Bambi was actually out on DVD at the time that I was looking for for um, for new DVDs. So mm-hmm. I I do have Bambi, um, which if anyone hasn't watched Bambi yet, they're very welcome to watch. That's me. I, will, I, I haven't will, seen it. I'm very willing to educate people on the wonders of of Bambi. Oh, yeah, I've seen. I remember. In my childhood, Disney time was a feature of every Christmas, every bank holiday, basically, Easter bank holiday, Christmas bank holiday. Disney time came on around about tea time. And that's the only time I've seen clips of Bambi is during those Disney time shows. Mm. So I've never actually seen it all the way through. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I think it's OK. So going back to the interview that Sharon that Sharon gave, where she was talking about um, what she remembered from it. And she was talking about just like as a kid, like being carried out of the cinema by her dad just because it was so sad and everything like that. I mean, I never saw Bambi as a kid. So I've never, it was kind of like one of those things that by the time I saw Bambi, I knew that, okay, his mum dies. I knew that the human beings were the bad guys. Maybe we should have put a spoiler alert at the beginning of this. (laughs) Oh, well, yeah, if, okay, it was, uh, if, if it's 70 years old, then hopefully. <laughs> if it's 70 years old, by now you probably know the tale of Bambi's mum. If not, what have you been doing with your... <laughs> <laughs> this is not the end of Gone Girl or anything we're giving away. Oh, <laughs> okay. All right. All right. We'll, we'll see you for the end of the show. <laughs> all right. Cool. And um, 
so yeah but okay so you saw it when it was a kid when you were a kid mm -hmm. what was that so was it similar like that i mean i know for her it was particularly particularly harrowing because with her losing her mom around about that time and then bambi she could just sort of identify with that a lot more but what was it like for you um i remember it specifically the scene with bambi's mom i remember being really upset by it i think i remember crying um but I was able to continue watching the rest of the film um, because I was hopeful that something good was going to happen <laughs> to, you know, to Bambi and the rest of the characters. Uh, but I, I remember, I think, I remember feeling like the whole film kind of leads up to that that moment, if you see what I mean. Like you kind of, you have all this empathy for, for Bambi well, and the other characters. Someone who hasn't seen it, at what point in the film does Bambi's mum get killed is it towards the end of the film then it's actually run about halfway no, I think it's about oh, right. halfway through yeah. so you have the idyllic happy childhood and yes, then you've exactly. got this tragedy then you yes moving on from tragedy yes exactly okay exactly. so you can see there's you could draw pick you could draw different well you know, the thing is it, it happens then and then and then after the after halfway of the point of the film you see a lot of where the lion king got its its story from of because course, I've seen Habsing Lion King. Yeah, the, um, the, he the, loses his father, doesn't he, early on? Yeah, so it's it's actually that. quite weird. The, there's bits of it where it seems as if Disney slightly plagiarized themselves to make the Lion King, yeah. <laughs> because the way it ends and like what Bambi becomes, because everybody always thinks oh, yeah, about Bambi. Good point. Yeah, everybody always thinks about Bambi as this little sort of like, as she was saying, this fawn that can't speak properly, can't walk or anything like that. But at the end, Bambi becomes this beast. <laughs> at the end Does of the, the great prince of the, the forest. Yeah, yeah. let's grow up then. Wow. Mm. Uh, Bam Bambi, I have no idea. Yeah, Bambi becomes like the king of the forest he's and is standing there and he has like he has childhood. like this he's a, he becomes a stag and he has like all these sort of things but Yeah, and he fights off another deer to get his girl and and that kind of thing. Yeah, and, Bambi yeah. becomes a dude. But <laughs> <laughs> Bambi becomes an absolute dude. And but but people always think of a Bambi as oh I like tiny yeah. little four, oh, the look name at doesn't him happen, does it? You always you won't think of if you were a big strapping chap, would you want to be called Bambi, really? If you're a big strapping <laughs> chap, you could be called whatever you That's wanted true. to be called. <laughs> what are they going to do? <laughs> it's yeah. like, this is my name. I own it. Live yeah. with it. It's <laughs> kind of like how my friends and I had this theory that in films, the only people you ever saw wearing pink shirts, um, like in the 80s and stuff, were like Colombian drug dealers because who was going to say anything to them yeah. about <laughs> <laughs> No one's going to question you. No one's going to question a Colombian drug dealer. Say, oh, dude, <laughs> you're wearing a pink shirt. <laughs> yeah, and? <laughs> so it's like... <laughs> Do you have something to say about that? <laughs> yeah. Um, so, okay, so that's... So, Bambi. So, you think good choice, Bambi? Yeah. Bambi's an excellent choice. I oh. can't imagine what it would have been like if it was a live-action film. Oh, because that was the original plan, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, the original yeah. plan was they were going to make it a live action movie. And the, the, then the guy who originally had the rights decided that it would be too difficult to make. So he sold the rights to Disney and Disney made an animated movie. <laughs> we were saying time before computer generation. I don't know how they would have done that. I have no idea. It would have been a weird film. A live action Bambi. Okay, so, okay, quick, wait, favorite Bambi character? Ooh, um, Flower. <laughs> Flower the skunk. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think okay. I, I think Thumper was probably like the breakout star of the film. Mm. But I was going to say, even though he's not my favorite, I'm going to say Flower because Flower is an extremely camp fay skunk <laughs> that I can't believe they got away with in 1942. <laughs> There's bits where I'm looking at. I'm going, hang away a second. They've made it really, really clear that all these animals are male. But it's obvious, flower, like the first time they meet Flower, and like um, they, he they say that the Flower's not his name or something, and he, the, he he looks at Bambi and he has this thing. Where he goes, "Oh, you can call me Flower. I mean, if you want to." Are you kind of like, 
what? Yeah, I'm <laughs> I got, slightly uncomfortable. I haven't even seen it. <laughs> yeah, that, that is, it was kind of like I was kind of like this is 1942. That's 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 a bit that's that's actually quite that's actually quite brave by Disney. But anyway, yeah. But yeah, flower. Doesn't flower, flower get a partner as well? Yeah, they flower, all do. Flower gets a partner. They all do get a partner. But I think that there were some weird undertones in there that they were trying to put in there. Flower's they were, they would not have been allowed if they didn't get a partner. But it's it's just kind of like it was just kind of like a bit weird. But anyway, it was a lavender marriage. So, <laughs> so so Sharon Sharon in the hospital. Thank you so much for suggesting Bambi. And now Sharon in the studio. You have a film that you want to talk about that was. You were say, okay, tell us about it, like the, the first film you saw in the cinema or something like that. Yeah, because I was thinking back to my first or early cinema experiences. I grew up in the 1970s and I'm the youngest of three. I've got two older brothers. So most the first films that really came to my head were the films that they chose that I went to see. Mm-hmm. So I did see things in the late 70s like Star Wars and The Black Whoa. Hole. And I saw those things at the cinema. But I remember fidgeting through most of them. Though now I do have an enduring love of science fiction and war films and westerns. But I think that's part of the fact that my mum used to work nights when I was a child and I spent all my time with my dad and my two brothers. So all of my film influences are masculine. So I was thinking the first film I really owned is like my choice and that I really got into the whole hype of was Grease. Okay. It came out in the late 70s. Grease. But first of all, let us remind ourselves of one of the most enduring things about Grease. To be played at every single school disco from now to the end of eternity. Here's Summer Nights. Summer lovin' had me a blast. Summer lovin' happened so fast. Summer. Tell me more, tell me more. Da, 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 da. Tell me more, tell me more. Did you fight up a fight? Uh huh, uh huh, uh huh. Okay, enough, enough of that. <laughs> right. I do you think you're missing a trick though, Tays? I'm not having a xylophone. A xylophone. Your... Oh, <laughs> ding, ding, ding. <laughs> oh, I think so. I think so. I remember before that. Before each link. I, I remember coming before. I remember. Um. Uh. Let's see. Coming into the country and. Of going to to discos and all that kind of stuff, and that song always playing, and the bit at the end where it goes, "Summer dreams ripped up the seams," but oh. and then the oh, everybody that was like the only bit everybody had to be synchronized and all at the same time you could go like, oh, those okay. Anyway, cool. So Greece, tell us about it. Tell us about Greece. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Going back, yeah, because. In the late 70s, I think right up until the advent of the, the home video recorders, the VCR players that we all had, films, you, you only could see films at the cinema. You mm-hmm. could occasionally got them on a Sunday afternoon on the television, but they were obviously films that were considerably mm. older. Yeah. But, you, but they did re-release them quite frequently. So one film, if you didn't watch it when it first came out, you normally caught it several times that year, the next year, whatever. And I think I don't think I saw it the first year it was out. I think I saw it when it was on the wave of the height of its popularity. Oh yeah. When I went with a couple of my girlfriends from school. But yeah, we were, and we were around about that sort of nine, ten age. And again, thinking back, it's a different generation. And my ten-year-old nephew would never go to the cinema on his own. Nine with, or ten? Yeah. Isn't Greece now rated like? A 12 or a 15 or something. Yeah, because it has some language in it. Yeah. But I think we, yeah, <laughs> there is, and they sort of, but again, it sposhes over you when you're a child. That's true. And like That's all the true. sexual references, I mean, like Grease Lightning, when you watch it now, you think, 
actually, that's really quite saucy. <laughs> but those references go completely over your head um, yeah. at the time. And even yeah. the lyrics, you're happily singing along. And then you realise what you're singing along to is actually quite suggestive. <laughs> but as a child, you have no way of knowing. But as a child, I remember going to the cinema with school friends at the age of nine or ten. Now, I mean, my ten-year-old nephew would never go to the cinema on his own. But we grew up in a childhood on the Isle of Wight. That's probably similar to some people's childhoods in the 1950s. You know, you could leave home in the morning and then you're not be expected back till tea time. And in my house, as long as we got back in time for tea, which is when my dad finished work at five, we the rest of the day was ours. Yeah. <laughs> so we would go to the pictures either at the Savoy in Newport or the Studio One or we'd go. So I do remember going to see Greece with some of my school, for, school friends. And it's one of those experiences where everything else retreats and it's just the screen what's going on in the screen you're not conscious of where you're sitting you're not conscious of people beside you you are immersed in what you're seeing and i think yeah. that's one of those things i love musicals anyway even as a child i used to dance around singing doris day songs and things mm -hmm. but i remember that experience of being completely immersed and then people could like click their fingers next to you and you wouldn't register it immediately. You would want, you would be, you were lost. Just transfixed on the screen. Yeah. Like. And I think that's one of those early experiences of just being completely unaware of where I was and what's happening and just watching what was going on on the screen. And again, the music that, and the, obviously by that time it was saturated and all these songs had made it into the charts. Yeah. You're the one I want. It's Sandy, Greased Lightning, Summer Nights. So you were, I'm totally pleased to to you, you were immersed in the songs anyway. Yeah. So you were just sucked into it. Yeah. And I just remember one of those films, yeah, can be completely lost in. And I think, again, American culture was completely alien growing up on the Isle of Wight. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah I'd imagine. And in I'd the 1950s so. as well. So it's that nostalgia that you, as a child, you're not aware that you're being drawn, sucked into this sort of nostalgic trip but you know you as a child I just completely embraced it and you know I had the posters of John Travolta on my wall I, I had a John Travolta mirror <laughs> <laughs> I had the photo novel what, what, okay things. what's different about the John Travolta mirror to a standard mirror well it's got his pa face painted on it I know basically. that's gotta be freaky yeah you look at you so look into a mirror, a mirror and you see and John Travolta like, staring back at you yeah it's just like the black paint has just been painted on with his quiff and the sideburns and his eyes and so you can see your face and then you, you also see him as well so it's like a it's probably highly collectible now well, I don't know if I've I don't it, I've got all sorts of random stuff hidden in our attic it might even still be there I don't think I'm going to sleep well tonight thinking about a John Travolta mirror now it's not a good image no. age hasn't worked kindly with them has it but oh, man. at the time everybody absolutely adored John Travolta oh yeah 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 I know, I know. He, he was, was he was probably them, the yeah. biggest he was probably one of the biggest film stars on the planet at that time yeah, so yeah it was just. I don't. I think we tend to forget nowadays. We're always saturated with the film is so accessible, isn't it nowadays? Mm, mm. And at those days, it wasn't. Yeah. A modern film, you had the only way you could see a current film, even on re-release, was the only way you could see it was by going to the cinema. Mm. And people did queue. And those days, there's no like the cinema world now where you've got the nice comfy foyer. You had to queue outside up the high street <laughs> in the cold, <laughs> in the, all weathers, <laughs> and to hoping that you would get in that they wouldn't suddenly say. And then the lady would step forward and put her arm down and then you would have to either wait for the next showing or go home. <laughs> yeah. Well, cool. So, okay, now we're talking about... Okay, so that was a viewing of Greece in the 70s. Claudia, as we said, like, you know, all the way over the decades. What, how, what, what about the first time you saw Greece, the film that will refuse to die? Um, To be honest... I, again, I don't really remember the first time I saw Grease. Um, I think my dad must have recorded it on a VCR recorder. Um, uh, pff, 
probably before I was born, to be honest. And I think either one of me or my sisters rediscovered this uh, this videotape and we played it and we loved it. And I must have been really young. We sang all yeah. of the songs. <laughs> I think it's We thought it every, was amazing. Because yeah. um, I know I remember <clears throat> going to a youth weekend when I was in my teens, 16 or 17, and Greece was the film of choice. Mm. We had, we could bring a couple of videos along and all the girls chose Greece. Mm. And this was <laughs> you know, 1986, 1987. Yeah. I was, I'd started, just about started work then. Yeah. <laughs> and Greece was still. I, th- I think, to be honest, most kids probably up until maybe those born in the early 2000s will have watched Greece. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no Greece. You, they can own it because it doesn't date because yeah. it's one of those films that... Because it was set in the 50s, made in the 70s, it's not it's, tied yeah. to yeah. any yeah. one yeah, exactly. time. Is yeah, exactly. so it, it, was always, it was always nostalgic right from the word go. Yeah. You know, you know what I reckon? You know there's an American diner in Newport, right? Yes, top there's of town. Rec- yeah, I reckon... Somebody must have thought about it and done like, you know, a, a viewing of Greece in the American diner. Just do like a theme evening. Yeah. You, you can, can bring your, your mirror. Milkshake. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> you can bring a mirror along. Everybody can have like, you know, their combs, like fleck knives. Yeah. <laughs> where the, the knives have gel. changed. Yeah. It's and like, the gel. The gel. And the gel. Yeah, everybody needs the gel. Yeah, like you have, have West Side Story. Trousers. They all had flick knives. They all had flick knives <laughs> in, leather st- in West Side Story. And then by the time it got to Greece, it was all combs. It was like, yeah, yeah we're going to fight with a comb. Yeah, it does tie in nicely actually with West Side Story, doesn't it? Because that is some of that imagery... It's lifted straight from. Yeah, yeah. Because they're the Thunderbirds, aren't they? They have their jackets and the pink ladies, they have their jackets. You can almost see some pic- parallels between what? the Puerto Rican ladies and the pink ladies. The way they the skirts and the way they have their cardigans over the shoulders but not buttoned up. Whoa. Scarf around the neck. Greece might be the biggest rip-off in movie history. <laughs> <laughs> They just took West Side Story and put John Travolta in it. <laughs> but come on, let's be honest. I mean, all the great stories are just repeated and repeated ad nauseum yeah. until the end of time. I mean, if even if you look at something like High School Musical, I'm sure you can, you know, pick out some elements of Greece yeah. and pick out some elements of, you know, other great, you know, school, yeah, coming of age yeah. kind of movies. Okay, all right. Okay, you see now, we started off with West Side Story. I'm sorry, Tosin. And now we've ended up in High School Musical. I'm sorry. Before this gets any worse, I think it's time to move on. <laughs> Before anybody mentions Glee. <laughs> I was just about to say Glee. No, no, no. Moving on, moving on, moving on. <laughs> so, all right. On the show, one of the other things that we do is that, obviously, it's called They Don't Make Them Like They Used To. But we think, okay, that might be a little bit harsh. And let's... There are some films that have been made after 1980. There are some films that have been made nowadays, which are still kind of good and still have some credit and still have something to actually recommend them. So, um, Sharon has picked a film today. This is something that Sean usually does. Sharon is standing in. And I think you're doing a very good job, Sharon, by the oh, way. thank you. And Claudia, for the first time in here, if if we could have the audience, I'll get them to like, you know, give you a round of applause for just being like, you know, so great at the first time on the show. Thank you very much for being here. We'll pat ourselves oh, on the you. back. Thank yeah, you. we'll pat ourselves on the back. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We last actually week, have pat ourselves on the back. You yeah. can't see us, but we're doing it. Last week, it was just me <laughs> on my own and it was a little bit weird. So <laughs> I couldn't stand and listen to myself. But anyway, you picked a film that was made after 1980, but yes. you still say is a... It's a Stone Cold classic. classic. Okay, cool. Tell us what film it is. A Room with a View. A Room with a View. All right. And from The Room with a View, here is, you say the name because I just can't say it. It's Dame Kiri singing Omia Bambina Cara. Nope. 
So anyone who's seen Room of the View, that that piece of music will immediately take you to a cornfield overlooking the towers of Florence with Helena Bonham Carter in a stunning white dress, parasol hat, stumbling across a cornfield and then Julian Sands appears and enfolds her in a manly embrace. You are, that, that piece of music will immediately take you to yeah, this idyllic, romantic moment in the film. Well, you make me want to watch this film. <laughs> I've always dreamt of Julian Sands coming and enfolding me in a manly embrace <laughs> in the middle of a field somewhere in, what was it? It's outside of Florence. Yeah, outside of Florence, too. outside of Florence. So actually, what is, okay, that aside, what is this film actually about? Room with you, based on a novel by E.M. Forster. Mm-hmm. It's about a, basically a young, innocent English woman transfigured by Italy. Uh, when I say transfigured, it means it's she's def- she's of her class. It's like late Edwardian at the time when the class system is being changed. Yeah, and she meets a man not of her class. Julian Sands is on holiday with his father. They're both working men. As father, he works on the railways. His father, I think, was a journalist or something. She's from like the landed upper middle class where they, you know. Mm-hmm. Where you didn't meet, you 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 had a social circle. Was it all upstairs, downstairs kind of thing? Not quite so much that he is obviously an upper middle class and he's can afford to go on holiday. Mm-hmm. But it's the oh. first generation who can afford foreign holidays who were working, you know. There he was like lower middle class, they're upper middle class. Yeah. And they meet on holiday, and she's supposed to, you know, fall in love with the character played by, I've forgotten his name, Daniel Day Lewis. Oh. And then she meets this man who's more down to earth, he's more earthly, and when she's on holiday in Florence. She meets this mix of people that she would never meet again and meet otherwise at this pensione. And in each of their own ways, their lives are just transformed. When she's walking through the city of Florence, she witnesses a murder, a mafia murder, this sort of, this incident. And Julian Sands is there with her to witness it. And he says, you know, this has changed us both. We know we've witnessed something, we've shared something, and it's changed us both. We'll never be the same again. And then, the, then, the, then the story progresses. It's quite a simple story. In fact, it's just as a love story, you know how he falls in love with her and she denies it. She thinks, no, I really should marry, you know, Daniel Day Lewis and live in that society. But he's like saying, no, you, you actually can make your own rules now. This is the world is changing around you, and you have to change with it. And so it, she does. Her her world evolves and it expands yeah, yeah. to include this sort of man that she never would have considered before. Yeah. And when the thing when the novel was first written, it was regarded as being obscene. Because he kisses Lucy, um, her, Helena Bonham Carter plays Lucy Honeychurch. Yeah. And Julian Sands is her, you know, her, her love interest. And he kisses her three times in, in the, the book. book. And in, the, in those days, that written cat. in that Edwardian era, you did not go around kissing people in books. <laughs> <laughs> that was something, you know, you, you, that was <laughs> hidden behind the sort of the veil of married life. You didn't actually go there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, it was outrageous that, you know, he kisses her three times in this in this book <laughs> but there's some there's some elements of the book that the film that are quite saucy there's a bit where they go swimming in a lake in a pond mm-hmm. and all the characters are in the all the men are in the nude and they're happily strolling through the woods the ladies with their parasols and their lovely spring dresses yeah and then suddenly they come across all these guys rampaging around in <laughs> the nude so it's one of the few films where you see full frontal male nudity oh but oh. Um, it's you know which is, <laughs> which is, which is Call quite, me old-fashioned, but I think that should be confined to the wedding bedroom. Yeah. Where, so, like, I'm but wait, so in, that, in that context of the film, it's more shocking than if you'd seen it in a more modern context. But yeah. where you see lovely ladies in their Georgian dresses and then you suddenly see them <laughs> running streaking across the screen. It's quite funny. But there's humour in it. Obviously, there's romance in it. There's I mean, some of my favourite lines are just random. 
yeah. there's one line that Daniel Day-Lewis says. Um, he's reading a passage from a book and he says, oh, my goodness, Lucy, look, three split infinitives. <laughs> and I thought that was, to me, that was one of the funniest lines in the film. Because who knows what split infinitive nowadays? No one cares about that. We're all going boldly, aren't we? We don't... <laughs> yeah. We yeah. don't follow the rules of language at the fact that this was his, you know, the most shocking element of this film. Okay. But yeah, it's just a, it's a film that takes you away to a different time and place and... Again, you can immerse yourself in that world, knowing that it's completely unlike the world we live in today. Uh, so when you say that, when you say like lovely white dress, is this the kind of dress that will be referred to as gingham? No. No? All right. No, gingham is normally red and white checks. Is it? You normally think of, if you were thinking of Oklahoma, they're wearing gingham dresses. Really? Yeah. Because I always heard that Helena Bonham Carter, they always said that she was known for appearing in films where she had to wear gingham. Yeah. So, but no, this was not one of those. This was more lawn. It's a lovely cotton dress. They're Edwardian dresses, so they're cinched in at the waist. Yeah. They're down to the ankles. They hadn't started but before the First World War, so they hadn't started lifting the hemlines yet. Corsets? Corseted in. Okay. Yeah, and you had the big hair, the Gibson girl hairstyle, which is like the bun at the back, and you have this soft frame of hair around your face. With a massive hat. With a big wide hat, yeah. <laughs> okay. Claude, looks like you were going to say... Yeah, I was going to say, that kind of reminds me of the dress style that they had in the... Um, um, BBC miniseries adaptation of Pride and Prejudice. Bit earlier, but yeah, that was sort of the earliest, that's the early part of the 19th century. This was the end of the 19th century. Mm. Though I think going into the 20th century, probably room of the view, it's probably beginning of, it's Edwardian, I think. So you're looking at 1905 to 1910, that mm. sort of period. Yeah, it's funny you should say Pride and Prejudice because I'm not going to lie, when you were speaking about lovely field and man comes and holds in a wonderful embrace and all that kind of stuff, and I was thinking, this is beginning to sound a little bit like Colin Firth or walking PNP. around, yeah, in yeah. Pride and Prejudice, walking around with a wet shirt in a scene that I still don't understand why so many women go crazy for it. I don't think he embraces Elizabeth at that point, though. No, 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 no. At the very end, scene. no, he doesn't. I don't even think he even says her first name until the very end of. The no, movie. in the novel, he doesn't. He, he, he certainly not. I think you know, again, they don't get kissed. In, again, Pride and Prejudice, they don't kiss until they're married. Mm. Yeah, well, chat fan, oh, but. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, no, the thing is, I'm just sort of saying, like you know, that whole sort of. Yes, that idea of this, it this taps into that romantic, mm. that romantic ideal that probably doesn't really exist, but we, <laughs> everyone dreams that it, it could. <laughs> it's like well, like what, like it's it's some sort of emotional emotional blackmail for, quite frankly, for mainly ladies, isn't it? Yeah, it's holding up you this ideal that you think you never may never achieve. I want to watch a room of you now. Yeah, I've never seen nice, it before. <laughs> yeah, I think for, it's it's sort of it's, it's that the proper. I'm trying to think of the name of it. Merchant Ivory. I yeah, think it was it's Merchant, Merchant Ivory, Ivory yeah. at their best because they made a number of films at that time. Passage to India again, like E.M. Forster. They did uh, Remains of the Day. Remains of the Day. Yeah. I'm trying to think. Well, the other one with Helena Bonham Carter is that. Uh, come out. Oh, I think head. I know it. Uh, I can't remember what it is though. Okay. Yeah, but yeah, there is yeah, definitely did, another one. There's definitely another yeah, one. Helena Bonham Carter. Yeah, and the, but I think that is. But it's Merchant Ivory at its best. I think it's slightly people. I think people have they used to criticise them a bit for being a bit too cosy and have been a bit too twee, and there was not much harsh reality about them. But I think they actually for that room of the view. I think they had the perfect cast. Everyone was just the right person in that place. Yeah, and they just had in the setting in Italy. Also, filmed in glorious weather, glorious sunshine. It was just, I think, the combination of the visual, just the visual feast of it, I mm -hmm. think, is what I think it really appeals. 
and it appealed to me as a teenage girl as well. It was that height of romanticism that you think as you grow up, you think, I don't know if I'd saw that now, if I'd have the same response to it. But as a teenage girl, I couldn't imagine anything more romantic than <laughs> being kissed in a cornfield by Julian Sands. <laughs> Now I'm probably thinking, oh, it's going to be stubbly. It's going to be rough. And I think my skirt is going to get ruined. <laughs> you don't wear long white dresses walking well, across like a cornfield. You get I guess going up on the Isle, going up on the Isle of Wight, you had your choice of cornfields. Yeah, you just yeah, there you you, actually, there's one down there in my road. Actually, we should rank them: most romantic cornfields to be kissed in on the Isle of Wight. Yeah, I don't think you choose the one off the pan. <laughs> <laughs> You know what? It's funny. There's a boggy bit in the middle as well. That'd be dangerous. You know, it's funny. I cannot imagine Helena Bonham Carter in that kind of a role. I mean, the Helena Bonham Carter that I know is, you know, what um, is um, what's her name? Bellatrix Lestrange. Yeah, and she's quite uh, edgy, isn't she? Yeah, she's really, really, really different. Yeah, she made. I think she made a conscious choice. She made a conscious choice. Those films. I think The Wings of a Dove marked the end of her romance with. I think that was the other one. Was it? Yeah. 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 That marked her the, her the, her end of her the relationship with the costume drama. I think she wanted to get it was away a different from kind of costume after that. Yeah, or lack of costume in some ways. <laughs> yeah, I think it <laughs> was the first nude scene that she did on in the cinema in it, Wings of a Dove, and I think she played a really unlikable character. She wasn't the ingenue anymore. She was the the older woman, the the less than you know attractive in terms of character woman that she played. I think after that she started being like Fight Club, but then and then, yeah, and then f- she did f- some weird stuff. Fight, fight Club was yeah. Fight Club was the mo- was a mo- moment at which she moved away. Uh, I think that's yeah. that. so. But anyway, we have run out of time this week. Cool. We've run out of time this week. So I just wanted to say thank you so much, Sharon and Claudia, for coming in. Thank say you. thank you to say thank you to everybody in the hospital for letting you be here and thank listen you. to you. Thank you for sharing what you're doing with us. Okay, and um. As we always say, people, we know that you're in the hospital, not the best place in the world to be right now. But please do get well soon. Listen to your doctor. Do everything you're supposed to. Get out of this place as soon as possible. And remember, as always, that they just do not make them like they used to. See you next week. With the best variety in music, this is Sunshine.